Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. We are reviewing Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 2, Disengage. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I am looking forward to talking about this, and I am looking forward to having Jonathan back. So welcome back, Jonathan Shorts. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. Also on the podcast is Jonathan Shorts. What's up, man? Hey, man. Uh, thanks for welcoming me back. I'm glad to be back. Sorry, I've been a bit, uh, I guess, absent is the best way to put it. <laughs> Lost in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, glad to be back. Glad to talk about this new season of Picard. I'm interested to see if you guys' opinions have changed thus far. Uh, it, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. So before we get into this episode, what were your overall thoughts on the first episode, The Next Generation, since we didn't have you on air for that? Man, it's hard to say, right? Because you can just throw these characters in anything and I'm all for it, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad, right? And dare I say, Patrick Stewart probably saves this series. Like, it's not much you can do wrong mm-hmm. and cause people not to watch it. Like, you're going to watch it just because Patrick Stewart is here. But in particular, the first episode I thought was a really good season opener. Mm-hmm. It set up a really good story for me. I like the fact that it didn't, you know, sometimes these series like this will start you off kind of almost like a recap of what where everybody like what how we ended the last season yeah and then like okay it's 10 years and gone by what happened in those 10 years that we missed we didn't get that in this one so there's been a time gap some things has happened and we don't know what it is and so you open up with Raffi and I'm like what the crap (laughs) oh Raffi what did you do what did you yeah what (laughs) happened with you and seven like, what the crap's going on? Yeah. So I love the mystery in it. I mean, you're already starting to spin up theories. Uh, the storyline seems like it's going to be great. Hopefully they keep it here. Yeah. And don't get too spread out. So, yeah, first episode, kudos. Great job. Yeah. From everything I've heard so far, it seems like it just ramps up and ramps up going forward. So, yeah, I'm anxious to see where they go with it. It does seem like we have a good foundation to build upon. And if they keep ratcheting up every episode, I think it was Ed Spielers that said that on the ready room. So if it keeps ramping up, man, it's no telling how good this is going to be because I'm already loving it and intrigued. So if you don't mind, let me ask uh, Jonathan a question before we move into this one. Jonathan, what did you think of moving the credits to the end? As opposed to having the uh, credit sequence at the beginning. You know, I didn't pay that much attention, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've never been the one to pay a, ten- a lot of attention to the credits. And I know over the past few years we've been doing this, you guys have actually picked up on some awesome hints and Easter eggs and giveaways and theories from the credits that I was like, what? Yeah. But I'm, I'm like, I'm one of those people like, I'm just ready to get to the meat and potatoes, <laughs> man. But yeah, I think it's a uh, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a great idea. Um, let's just get into the story and get going. We're not interested in the credits. How dare you? How dare you? I'm sorry. I advise everybody <laughs> to go and watch Tasha's video where she breaks down the, the credit scenes. A lot of good tidbits in the credits. So 
I know when we watch Doctor Who, I'm always the one like, oh, I don't, I don't care about the intro. So I'm kind of like you with Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to see the credits. Let's just get to the action. The thing with the credits, and I, and I get it. I mean, I get the point. But like, in order for you to get something meaningful, you're going to have to pause it. You're going to have to take it back a yeah, bit. You're going to have to pause it. That's the fun it. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it is not. <laughs> I sit down for entertainment. I want to relax and I want to watch what I want to watch. You, you're not going to tell me you haven't formulated like a thousand theories in your head already. Don't even yeah. act like you haven't done that. Yeah, but I want to formulate those theories without having to do physical work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Teach their own. Well, well, you know, to segue off of that, the thing that I like about the credits that I think I mentioned last week is, and maybe it was Jeremy that mentioned this in pre- one of the previous seasons, Having the credits at the beginning and saying special guest star fill in the blank at the beginning ruins the reveal when they're at the beginning. So if you're going to have the credits, don't put special guest star fill in the blank at the beginning. I do like having it at the end because you don't know that fill in the blank is going to be in this episode. So that's what I like about it. And I'm just saying, you know, there was a who was it? It was Kings of Comedy or something. It was Steve Harvey. You know, he said, he said, don't you hate when you go to the concerts and they're like, now everybody put your hands up. Everybody scream. He said, well, I pay forty nine ninety five. You scream. Like, he's not there to do work. He's there to be entertained. Are you not entertained? <laughs> but yeah, to your point, Cal, it kind of sucks to see that guest star in the beginning. And then I'll, now you, you kind of ruin the surprise. Yeah. Thanks to each and every one of you for subscribing, listening watching however you may be hearing this of course what we do here in this podcast is review each and every episode of star trek in what we call excessive detail in addition to talking all things trek star trek picard disengaged was written by christopher munfett and sean tretta it was directed by doug arianoski so if anyone listening has not seen disengaged this is the second episode of the third series of picard Put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. The spoiler warning has been dropped, and as always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? So I'm going to have something very unique this week. So for everyone listening who is listening on audio, this is not a mistake. You didn't lose the broadcast in any way. So here come the beats. Okay. And there are the beats. (laughs) Meaning, I need some analysis here. Okay. Meaning... I said everything I needed to say without saying Mm. it. Oh, you were doing a little bit of acting. Yes. (laughs) Mental acting. So if you've seen the episode, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. But yes, that's those are my beats. They are unsaid. Wow. Mr. Shorts, you are always here for the acting. And does his beats hold up? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to maybe disagree, though. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I, I mean, okay. Certain people, certain actors are just going to be great regardless. But there was some parts 
in this that just seemed not really forced, but just kind of like over rehearsed, if that makes Hmm. sense. That's interesting. We want to get into all of those. And of course, I think Cal directly was referring to that moment where no word was meant to be said. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. But I, I I do want to hear your over-rehearsed or bad acting points a little bit later. But first, let's get your high-level thoughts of this episode. Overall, I felt it was a great episode. I felt it was a really good episode. And I go back to the same descriptions I've had for Discovery episodes and the uh, Picard episodes like it feels like you're watching a movie that you don't want to end. Mm. So I sit down and I watch it and I'm like, oh man! And you like you see the end credits roll and then you're like disappointed. Whereas <laughs> you know watching Strange New Worlds or anything else like that, you kind of the credits roll and you're satisfied and it was a good show and you're done. I am anxious to see the next episode. I am also curious about our villain. I am glad to see our villain revealed so early on. If it is indeed the villain, if they change it, I'm going to be upset because now we're going too many different ways. But the villain, I thought, is going to be interesting and badass. So I'm curious, as you are, Clarence, to find out where the overacting comes from, because I do have something that was either, in my opinion, overacting or it was something I just didn't like. And if that be the case, it was just I didn't like, then it was a job well done. That said, I enjoyed it. I was there for it. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I don't have any complaints. For me, I think everything on a Titan felt like go. I enjoyed all of that. It's nothing real I can complain about, about what was going on on the Titan. I thought that was good. And of course, you know, before we got to the Titan and we get off of the Elios, I thought that part was good as well. In addition to the flashback, I think for me, the part of the episode, it just felt disjointed, though needed. And when you're thinking about the grand scope of the season, I think it's needed. But all of the stuff on Matala's prime sector six or whatever, it just it took me out of the action. And that's kind of hard thing to say because I think some of the best parts of the episode was in <laughs> was in those parts as well in the Rafi scenes as well so it's kind of hard to put my finger on it but I just it just feel like it doesn't mesh like it should with what's going on on the Titan this is B plot we have going on here I will add that while I somewhat agree with you I'm happy that we don't have a a plot B C D and E plot like Maybe we had in (laughs) season two, you know, you had so many things going on in the background, you know, you've pretty much got bringing the cast together and the Rafi plot. But if the Rafi plot was to help reintroduce part of bringing the cast back together, then it kind of I would rather have what what you had with Rafi than that character just show up on the ship and it was like, oh, well, look who we called. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Who are you going to call? Kapla. Let's go ahead and and talk about the Rafi storyline before we get to 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 Mr. Crusher and what's going on on the Titan. She's tracking down this weapon. Obviously, the weapon was used by the end of the last episode, and she is not believing what's what the what was in the news about what went on with this weapon. And she seems like she seems to think it was pinned on somebody that didn't really do it. So she goes to investigate and her handler is telling her to disengage. Now our friend Tasha from after the snap predicted this. And I don't know if I was on board until she actually explained it out, but did you think it was Worf all along? 
No, that was a huge surprise. I honestly thought that I was thought of something more nefarious going on with that. Mm-hmm. Like I figured that was a uh, Romulan or like somebody else that was kind of manipulating her. Cause like, I just, I kept saying like Starfleet intelligence is not that mm-hmm. like that is no way. So I knew for a fact that was not Starfleet inte- intelligence, regular Starfleet intelligence, but to see Worf and then, so <laughs> I never known Worf to be much of a sword play person, mm-hmm. right? He was great with a bat lift, but to see that scene where we get introduced and you see the sword play, I'm thinking, what's the quillot, however you say it? <laughs> the quillot? Yeah, I thought it was one of them coming in to help her. So like totally thrown off guard, totally thrown off guard. But now I'm interested to see why he, of all people, would tell her to stand down. Well, I know you're one that's for the fighting. Is this the badass wharf that you've been expecting to see since the TNG days? Or was it like some may think a little bit over the top? We have heads flying back and forth. What's your analysis on the fight itself? Well, the little bit of it that we saw, I thought it was an amazing fight. And I thought it was the best I've seen Worf ever. Mm. So, and I don't want to take anything away from Worf's character. Worf has never struck me as... The only reason you would fear Worf is because he's clean on and he's big and strong enough to break you in half. But as far as how good of a fighter he is, you know, we've never really seen that. I mean, we've seen a couple of holodeck episodes where, you know, he's kind of went bat lift crazy on some people. Uh, But like, I just never really saw that side of Worf. Like if we've seen, if we would have saw a scene like this in TNG, he would have probably been my favorite character. Mm Hmm. I agree with everything Jonathan just said. I loved it. I didn't think it it was over the top in the least. And what I thought whenever I saw the heads roll, literally, was, wow, TV has come a long way since, you know, 1987. (laughs) Seriously. Because, you know, the reason we didn't see Worf doing what we saw Worf doing was TV standards were different. Yeah. Expectations were different then. Even with the movies, you could have gotten a little bit more, but rating-wise, you didn't want to have one of your main characters beheading someone, so you didn't see that. But yes, I was there. I thought it was good. Yeah, and as uh, Tasha points out in the chat, Kerlith was the weapon he was using in that scene. Hmm. So what was... I know we've... And I don't know if I've really saw that weapon previously in Trick, maybe once. Yeah, I think it's, it's new for this season. Okay. Because I got a shorter version of that that you usually keep on your side, and I forgot what that's called. But I've never seen the longer one, so that was pretty cool. But I got a question for you guys. What is your opinion on Worf's new look? It's cool. I mean, it it is it's just the gray hair. That's the only thing that looks different to me, you know. And we didn't get much of it, so I don't know if you can judge yeah, it. Unless, yeah, you, yeah. unless you've seen some press images, I, I don't know if you can judge it too much from what we saw uh, in that brief moment of the episode but i thought he looked cool i thought he looked badass no agreed i was curious on how they were going to age him because i mean we knew he was coming and i'm I'm curious to see just how that works so clean we've seen older clean portrayed in a lot of different ways but yeah you know you could we could have went the martok way and just kind of like the same look just longer hair and more like age skin no we could have went the what was the one they were chasing on ds9 of the albino mm-hmm. like he had, he ended up with white hair but he just looked ancient like he was senior citizen type 
to me, this is perfectly done, though. I, I mm-hmm. like it. He doesn't look overly aged. It just looks gracefully aged. There you go. I like it. Kyle, what did you think of our Ferengi that we saw in this episode? Sneed. I'm the, the, not a the, fan. The gangsta, gangsta Ferengi. But what about the look, the tattoos? And uh, of course, we have known the Ferengi to be nefarious in some ways, trying to make a deal any way they can. And we see this Ferengi here that is kind of that ultimate deal maker. He's going to the dark side a bit more than our usual Ferengi. And he's like a crime boss or something. I give you that. And, and I, I, I'm not disagreeing. I will just say there was one or two times in this episode I went, yes. Well, his beheading was one of my yeses. <laughs> <laughs> so that may, say, that may say bad things about me. I'm not sure. But I did go, yes. Whenever he got beheaded. It says good things about the writers, because that's usually the feeling you get from a Ferengi that's not on your side. Point taken. Well, for that matter, <laughs> good acting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Any, any additional thoughts I liked him. I liked him, and I kind of wish he hadn't have been beheaded, because I just wanted to get more into that character. That just would have been fun to listen out. But I agree with Kyle, like... It just gets to a point. You're like, I'm just tired of tired of this Ferengi. But he was doing a good job being a Ferengi. You know what would have made that better, though? What would have made that awesome? If he was holding the Grand Nagus staff? Mm, yeah. And the actor there for Sneed is Aaron Stanford, which is also another 12 Monkeys alum. So Terry Mattel is bringing his folks over to Star Trek, which I think is cool. <laughs> and additionally, before we pivot to the main storyline, we also saw Rafi's husband for the first time, giving her the ultimatum, her son, or the pursuit of this criminal, and she chooses the criminal. But I do find it kind of strange that her husband knows the guy or knows a way to get in contact with the guy. That felt a little weird. And, you know, he was making this case that he's just so much better and chose a different life. <laughs> but, like, you're in cahoots with this criminal? Like, I can- how are you any better than what yeah. Rafi went to Starfleet? She may have had a drug problem, but she went to Starfleet. Yeah. You wouldn't have worked for a cricket drug dealing Ferengi. And it, it's just cool to see that we find out that both of this is a family of, of users. And they both have part, went their different ways to kind of break the addiction. So I found all that interesting. And even Rafi getting tempted once again, which she falls to, which I was kind of worried about. But but yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of see that we didn't lose that storyline from the first very first time we see Rafi with her vaping, her her alcohol. <laughs> hey, here's a question for you guys. You know, I I know that this show likely was mapped out to some degree at from the very beginning. You know that they knew that they were going to begin here and likely probably end somewhere wherever we're going to. That said. Rafi, from the original cast, I mean, I know Seven was introduced in the first season, too, or reintroduced, I should say. But but of the new characters, Rafi is the only one who is remaining. Do you think that was intended? This is message. I mean, this is a question for both of you. Do you think that that was intended at the start? Or do you think it was how the characters progressed that the writers, producers decided, hey, we're keeping this one character for season three. I don't personally think it was intended from the start. I think that 
they realized that they had to pivot the show a bit as it went on. Again, we keep talking about Patrick Stewart's mandate that this not just be another next generation. And for the large part, it hasn't been until now. You know, <laughs> we have stayed far away from that. And from the very beginning, I don't think they and I could be totally wrong on this, but it doesn't seem like they envisioned these core characters that we real, you know, all these great core characters that they introduced in the first season not being here now. So it's a little strange, but I I think they made the right move. Honestly, I really do. Uh, I, I agree. I do think it was the right move. Now, whether it was intentional or not, I'm not sure. And, you know, usually you will be able to tell it just kind of how the story progressed through the first season. But I mean, as we've all complained about, it's kind of like they started all of these lines, storylines, and then just kind of all of a sudden wrapped them up. Yeah. So I'm more apt to lean with you and saying it's just kind of unexpected. They realized that this was not the direction they wanted to go. And I get why they did it. Right. They want they want fans to have more than just one main character. Obviously, Patrick Stewart is older. Yeah. Uh, his acting may not can carry the load for an entire series. Uh, you want to see a little more in it. So I think they tried to introduce a lot of new characters that didn't work because they had to give them backstory. Right. Yeah. Everybody had to have a backstory. Everybody had to have a continuation. We had to grow to love them and you have to do that through a story. So the only re- way to get enough characters to support Patrick Stewart, enough actors to support him and not have to do the backstory is to bring back the classics. Yeah. I'm appreciative of it. Like I said, you can throw these people at anything and I'm happy. I said for me, it was hard to lose Rios. And I think, John, he was a favorite character of yours as well, because I feel like they just flushed him out so much and he was a great character. But I'm glad we at least brought some of those characters over to this season uh, and not just have a clean slate completely. So if you guys had to think of one person from last season that's not here currently that they'll bring back, who do you think it will be? Oh, Rios. Rios is amazing. Rios. He was cool. He was freaking cool, (laughs) man. (laughs) I mean, could we make that work? I guess we could make that work because he really didn't have a solid place. I hate to say it, but I think him and Rafi's... As far as right now, I think they're kind of interchangeable. I, I agree totally, totally interchangeable. And I'm agreeing with Tasha that if you were going to bring somebody <laughs> back, Elnor. That's that was that would be my first vote. Exactly. That Tasha. Would be I want least, to see Elnor. Least Why? favorite character in Star Trek Picard. So Elnor. That, I, it would have been almost as awesome, if not just as awesome, if Elnor would have been the one coming and making heads roll in that uh, last scene. No, no, no. How yes. dare you? I actually have to agree with Jonathan. I can't believe I'm saying this, but <laughs> yes. I mean, I, 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 I love the fact that Worf was there, and there's probably no other way to introduce him, so I get it. But, like, that would have been another pump the pump your fist moment if Elnor would have been standing there. Especially if we weren't expecting it. Right. Yeah. Well, if we weren't expecting it, maybe. I I could kind of see it there. But he'll never top what Worf did. Let's just make that clear. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Let's pivot to the main storyline aboard the Titan. But first, we're on the, uh, what is it called? The Helios. And Seven makes the case that Captain Shaw go in and rescue are our heroes as a captain and an admiral in there go get them <laughs> am i gonna have to find you the quarters <laughs> and, Cl- and clarence you were 100 percent right last week you predicted this because you said when i was given some hate on the captain 
you said that over the course of the season, you predicted that he would slowly begin to change his view. And yes, that's what we saw. So kudos to you. Yeah. So so seven pleased with him to go after our admiral and our captain. And he does. As you said, Cal, just a stark change from where he was in the first episode when he said your reputation precedes you into the room. <laughs> and he goes and makes the rescue, which it was good to see seven also get a little bit of redemption because she had betrayed orders in the first episode. So, again, I think we were kind of seeing her get closer to Shaw as well. And maybe by the end of this, she won't get court-martialed. So, I'm here for it. You know, really, really quick, what I really liked about what she did in that scene was she was smart enough to play at his vanity. Because it wasn't like, this is Picard, this is Riker, they've done this, that they've done that. She didn't play that card. She flipped it as... Do you want to be the person responsible for mm. the destruction, death of these, you know, legends that you're talking about? That was smart because she yeah. played at his self-preservation. And just that line, do you want to be the hero that saves the heroes? Yes. Like that just gets you. So I got a question. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to quit going off on tangents. but No, let's hear it, man. This thought just crossed my mind. So you remember that show Celebrity Deathmatch? It was like the claymation thing came mm-hmm. on late at night. I hate it. TV, yeah. Yeah, okay. Celebrity Deathmatch between Rios and Captain Shaw. <laughs> Who wins? Well, we haven't seen Captain Shaw fight, so... I'm uh, just, just strictly speaking off of, like, swag. Of course it's Rios. Of course. But I think Captain Shaw is a very sympathetic character, uh, and we've talked about this before in, in uh, Tasha's Discord, which you should be subscribing to. Go to Tasha's Discord after the snap moves in TV. But, you know, he started off as such this mean a-hole. And I think over the course of this, the series, he's going to get better and better. But we see he's been very, it seems like he has some trauma. Something happened to him. There's a reason he don't like these boys. You know, he he's been through some ish <laughs> so to speak you know i kind of picked up he made a comment to picard i don't remember if it's this episode or the last about the um about the borg incident mm-hmm. so i'm assuming maybe somebody he was close to was killed in that wolf 359 maybe you know, yeah but i think you know i just think he's he's been through some stuff and uh i made this comment on twitter that shaw is the voice in your head when a captain goes off script he's the one saying what you should do in a situation he's like i got 500 people on this ship man why am i gonna go in there and try to rescue two people that doesn't make any sense on paper (laughs) but what about that entrance though what about that entrance have we seen anything like that in star trek when the uh, ilios is being tractor beamed by Vedic ship, which we learn is the Shrike. It's being tractor being pulled in and that entrance by the Titan to just get in between there and break oh, things up yes. a bit. That yeah, was freaking that was cool. That was good. And it was perfect. It was a perfect scene to show the scale of all three ships. Yes. Right. Cause you're kind of, you're kind of looking at the Ilios and, and seeing this other ship and you know, this up, the Shriek is a lot bigger. Yeah, but we can't really. We don't really know what size Helios is. So I, I know in my head I'm thinking, is this like bigger than like the Enterprise D? Is it like Voyager? What's it? So when that jumped in, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get it. The Titan is a 
formidable ship. <laughs> but also the shriek is like, oh my god. Oh yeah. One of one of two ship scenes that I want to talk about, but that was the first one. So we get our heroes aboard along with someone who who we find who we come to find out name is Jack. Jack Crusher. John, is that name a little bit too on the nose? Especially knowing what we know by the end of the episode <laughs> that this is that this is P- Picard's son. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was it was a bit much. I mean, because like uh, you're thinking, all right, I know Jack Crusher. Like I know that name, and I know yeah. the significance of it. And we've had an entire series of Next Generation to flush out whether or not he had another son. Mm. There was nothing even close to it. So you immediately know, right? I would have done better just not knowing any. Like, call him Rob Zombie (laughs) and let's just move on. (laughs) I have to disagree. Here's why I disagree. Obviously, this needed to remain unknown. So she's Mm. hiding him from what, from some, for whatever reason. For all the time he was alive, we've never heard about this other son. Well, if you were hiding it for whatever reason from the fact that he is Jean-Luc Picard's son, what better way to point and misdirect than wow. disassociate from Picard? Good point. Well, let me disagree with your disagreement. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> so, obviously, she's never mentioned having another son, right? Well, that, well, well right. let, let me, let's, let's pause, put, pause right there for a second. I think that brings up another point of where... Where in the timeline and how old is Jack really? I, I think that kind of leans into that point. Cal had a theory last week that maybe when Crusher was miss- missing or going to Starfleet headquarters to head Starfleet Medical or whatever, uh, that she could have had Jack then and somebody else may have raised him, hence the accent. When did Picard and her do to do? I don't know. I mean, that's for you to figure. I, mean, it, uh, I guess technology moves along. I mean, there f- were twenty-two <laughs> episodes. We de- we weren't with the cast for the entire. T- uh, we didn't see them after dark. There was no such thing as next generation after dark. But my point was, if she, it's not that she was hiding this son from just Picard. True, she was hiding from everybody. Very valid, right? So if. Beverly Crusher ends up with a son and everyone knows that Jack Crusher senior is dead. Who are they going to assume is the father? Right. So it would be more beneficial to name him. I wouldn't want to name him any like meet Jack Crusher. What else is he? (laughs) He's our son and he can't be Jack Crusher from 200 years ago or whatever. Right. Well, why would you name why would you name a son from another father the name of the father? Yeah, it's problematic. It's okay. problematic. But, 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 but I don't think they're going to create something so freaking problematic with two well-known characters in Star Trek lore without having a logical resolution. And I love what Tasha just said. She agrees <laughs> with me. She says they were always having breakfast in his quarters thank you tasha (laughs) (laughs) but 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 yeah i mean i i personally don't think it happened during that missing season i think it happened after because i think ed spielers is 34 30 something but i think the character he's playing is way way younger uh i would i believe we don't know yet 
But Terry Metallus did say on Twitter that we would begin a re- resolution to that in the very next episode, which I'm happy of. We're going to get a resolution for the accent and hopefully and hopefully some more information on his backstory. And that goes to another point I want to bring up about this season. I want to hear your thoughts on. It seems like in the first episode, at least, we set up the mystery. I'm her son. The second episode, we paid it off. And this is and that's something I hope that they continue to do. Don't just set up set us up with this mystery in episode one and wait to episode eight or nine to give us a revelation that, quite frankly, might not be all that awesome, you know? So I love the fact that they gave us the setup and then the very next episode, we start getting some resolution. So I think that's a formula we should follow. I 100% agree, man. I, I, I We keep saying this over and over, like the trick franchise was burned by the burn. I hope they learn from that. <laughs> Sound like a little rhyme you had going there. (laughs) Burn, burn, learn. There you go. No, man. So we get Riker and Picard aboard the Titan. And it's just a weird dynamic with seeing these two Mavericks (laughs) interact with Shaw because Shaw is so careful, so tepid. He does not want to ruffle any feathers, especially when we get this message from Vedic, which is played by Amanda Plummer, as a, a very different villain, I feel for Star Trek. It and I keep mentioning this. She reminds me a lot of the non-binary villain we had on Strange New Worlds, but not that extreme. Not that extreme. I mean, she's she's the the character off Strange New Worlds seems very laid back compared to Vedic, because <laughs> she is like she's having fun you don't know if she's calculated or maniacal or both it's, it's just like the, the way she's playing the character is scary quite frankly i kind of it, it remind it kind of makes me think of a gold if gold was like effective like so you get her vedic and she's like kind of laughing kind of like you know hey you know we're gonna do this <laughs> the best way we can but you're screwed either way you know so gold was kind of the same way like he was smiling at you like he killing you was going to be in your best interest. Right. Yeah. He just he wasn't good at keeping that. He always failed, probably because yeah. he's going up against Cisco. But it's <laughs> <laughs> it's something about a villain that makes you smile. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you get some that you just absolutely hate, that you absolutely fear, that you just know is bad. But like this one, I can't help but to feel like. There's a reason why she's doing what she's doing. Not saying it's justified, but it's not just out of evil. Well, so far, we think that reason is Jack Crusher. At least that's what she wants us to believe. She is demanding he come to my ship in 60 minutes or less. (laughs) Or there's going to be repercussions to pay. Uh, I didn't like her. That she was the only one for me that felt like it was a little bit overacting. I mean, Mm. she she played her role for whatever but it just wasn't my cup of tea yeah it's, it, it is almost too over the top where again for me it distracted me in a way that where i can't really tell what the motive is or who she really is it's just like this so very mustache twirly <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna throw a ship at you <laughs> you know it's almost too playful that i can't really gauge what's going on with this character and that's kind of where my comment was the overacting and not not overacting in a bad way i love i like this villain but it just seems like someone that 
rehearsed too much. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It almost didn't feel naturally from that actor. So you didn't like Amanda Plummer's acting in this episode. Right. I mean, I like the script. I like the story. I like I liked it all. It's just and maybe she just doesn't fit yet. And maybe it'll grow on me. But it just it just seems like she was being it was an actor playing a character. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like I look at Patrick Stewart. If I see him walk by, I'm gonna say, "Hey, there's John Luke Picard." <laughs> uh-huh. Right? But I'm just not gonna separate that those character and actor there. I'm just not. I can't do it. It just looks forced. It's good though. It's a good story. It was almost like she was on stage giving a performance, kind of. Right. And uh, tidbit there: if you watch the Ready Rooms, the set for the Shrike is a an, a redress of the downstairs portion of the Las Arena. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. Kyle, your thoughts on, on Amanda Plummer's character, Vedic? Mm, didn't like her. Didn't yeah. like, you said that already. You said that. <laughs> but no, I, I give her I give her props, her being the actor, of doing something original. Because she was a little bit over the top. She was a little bit unexpected. It just didn't gel right with me. I mean, the I do find myself curious how she knows these names of people. So, yes. you know, she knows a lot of ish, you know, yes. she's got a lot of information that I'm like, how the hell do you know what you're saying? <laughs> that I find interesting, but the choice of making her the character that they're making her just, just didn't gel for me personally. Also her ship, she has a very formidable ship, the strike. And you see Shaw and Picard and Riker as she's giving us this long laundry list of weapons that they're just kind of quivering in fear. I mean, we could feel it in, in their eyes, but they weren't actually quivering. But I was quivering when they said, <laughs> like, whoa, this thing is loaded, loaded. OK, could, could we have had a better name? Do you think you don't maybe? like the name? You say not not really. Maybe because I'm not familiar with the bird she's referencing. Well, I did a little research and supposedly this bird will take their prey and and impel them and eat away at them slowly. And it's not <laughs> technically considered a bird of prey, but it has bird of prey tendencies, let's say. <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry. I just have to go there. I have to do this. I have to put a pun in. If it was going to be a bird and it was going to be a killer, it should have been the albatross. There you go. <laughs> and that is an Oz9 reference. <laughs> if you want to know more, go to oz-9.com where you can listen to the very great comedy podcast. Awesome. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and you can even hear Clarence Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I, that uh, I, d- I like the ship, though. I like the ship, but I'm interested to see more. So, you know, sometimes you, you guys always talk about techno babble. Mm-hmm. I think for a moment here it was more a lot of weapon babble. <laughs> weapon babble. That's new. <laughs> yeah. Like when they were wabble. listing off all wabble. There you go. <laughs> They're listing off all these weapons and I get it to make it sound very formidable. But I would like to know what some of these I've never heard of some of these things that they say. I don't even remember what all they said. I mean, I know photon torpedo. I didn't hear him say quantum torpedoes, though. It felt like all of these weapons were like the biggest, baddest weapons from each race in the galaxy is kind of what I was getting from it. Uh, And I have some of this wabble for you that I'll reel off real quick. It was armed with 40 isolated burst warheads, 88 plasma torpedoes, 
236 photon torpedoes, 18 antimatter missiles, and 20 pulse wave torpedoes. Again, I, I agree with you, John. We don't know what that means. <laughs> But it sounds awesome. <laughs> it sounds bad. I'll, I mean, I'll give you that. It sounds badass. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think we could have replaced it with some things maybe we've heard of before. And maybe I just don't remember all of them. We've heard isolated weapons before. And we have heard isolated weapons. Uh, antimatter warheads, I thought. I mean, wasn't it antimatter warheads? That's what was on Enterprise. Mm, I do not know that. I could be wrong. But anyway, it, it was still cool nonetheless. I like the ship. Uh, that being said, so she has all these weapons, and I'm we're jumping to the end. How did the Titan make it to get into the nebula without being destroyed? And like they <laughs> mentioned that at the top, as soon as our nacelles light up, yeah. we're going to be done for. They didn't even go to warp. They just kind of slowly flew at impulse into the nebula. Yeah, it did not seem like they were moving fast into the nebula. So I don't know. That one was a little weird, I will agree. But we did get that really awesome scene of the uh, Ilios being hurtled into the Titan via yes. tractor beam. Now, that was that was freaking cool. And I'm sad to say we saw it first in Lower Decks. How does that make you feel? <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, and for that matter, you know, even though it's this feels like a bit of a slower, talky episode... The, the, the visuals that we got in this episode, I thought were fantastic. The ships in this nebula and all the kind of the ship getting tossed. And I, I think the visuals in this were pretty darn cool, to say the least. And Clarence, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to actually disagree with you. Mm. I'm going to say that I don't think this was a talky episode. <laughs> I think it was well paced. It It was quick. It was on and then i'm looking at the end credit so i respectfully disagree with you you know i'm gonna have to disagree as well i didn't see it as a talky episode Mm. i actually enjoyed this episode and it seemed like it was very well paced and like moved it right along for me and as in cal's beats like they're the best part about it was the parts not said Mm. so i know i asked this before or earlier but i want to get you guys' thoughts on why is jack so valuable why does vatic want jack and they are pretty much ready to hand them over until we get that moment that we're going to talk about but what's so special with jack if he's if he's truly (laughs) the now golem (laughs) picard's son if he's truly picard's son what can be so special about him to make vatic want him of course, we get that slight flashback, two-week flashback at the beginning of the episode that shows Jack doing some maybe shady things, maybe his way of doing frontier medicine. We don't know that quite yet. But what is so special about Jack that makes Vatic want him? Mm, well, I mean, you kind of said a little part of it. I mean, this could be one option, and it's a very obvious one, is we need John luc Picard's DNA for something. Mm. And well, since the Picard we have now is no longer the DNA equivalent of Jean-Luc Picard, like that's your only option left. But how many people know that is is my thought. But well, Daddy knows it. She so knows she everything knows else. Exactly. So uh, the other thing, and I'm trying to go back and find this. I had it and I lost it. I was doing some reading on Beverly Crusher and her parents were killed by this race of people and they described them as something maybe close to what we seen in under the hood 
of the people on the Vedic ship. Under the hood. What? I'm the, confused. The, her, her people on her ship. The alien race people. I don't know. You can see them. They had hoods on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like the the bird mass people. Yeah. Right. But I'm trying to look it up. I can't. I had it mm. saved here in my notes and now I can't find it. So you're saying there could be some callback to when her parents were killed? Right. To Betty? So what I'm thinking is maybe Beverly and her son now were up to something de- dealing with that and they stirred the wrong pot. Hmm. So Tasha put something in the chat that I'm going to put on screen and she hasn't she's going to have a video coming up explaining all about this connection, which I think goes back all the way back to Star Trek Enterprise. But, John, do you know who the Elichi are? No. It was mentioned once, I think, in TNG, and it was also mentioned in Enterprise, these race of people, which I have to do some research. I don't know much about them myself. But uh, that might be something we have to go research a bit. But she will have a video coming up about this. So stay tuned to Tasha's YouTube channel to get the deets on this coming up here pretty soon. And it was mentioned on Enterprise? Yeah. Like it's a long road Enterprise? (laughs) (laughs) That's the only Enterprise I know. Because I just watched that series, so I don't remember that. It must have been like a fleeting mention. Let's go ahead and talk about the moment, which I consider maybe the one of the best acted moments in Star Trek. And we just have this look between Picard and Crusher. Thoughts? Or is there any, is there anything else to say there? Uh, no. I mean, Gates McFadden. I mean, wow. <laughs> just wow. Yeah. I mean, I could. I mean, I could go in. I could talk about that for thirty minutes. But wow. <laughs> mm. I, I agree. It's not much to be said there, other than other than just that strong, like the dis. To show the relationship between Crusher and Picard. And that relationship was never openly questioned questioned on TNG. But it was just known, like without words, it was known that they were close. Yeah. And nobody on the ship ever questioned that. And that just kind of reinforced that relationship. And I don't know. They had they had such a respect to work with. Like they worked with each other that entire time knowing they were in love with each other. And they still kept her professional. Could you imagine the strength of a relationship, of a friendship it takes to do that, to not cross that line? Well, obviously they crossed it at some point. But. <laughs> Jonathan, everything you just said as a fan who has watched it over and over and over, uh, over, over the years since it first aired, is exactly why I say, wow, because she took all of that context. To me, she took all of that context and in the looks that she's giving from the eye movements to the jawline to all these things that she did. She portrayed all of that. And I just thought that was brilliant. Mm. Yeah. For for Gates to come back and get such a commanding performance right there. Right. And just that slight change you see in Picard of when he gets that okay, that subtle, subtle okay from 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 Crusher, and then he's back into almost back into the Picard that we saw in the TNG era, the one that I've not really seen, in my opinion, since we've seen Picard in the series Picard. To me, he snapped back, giving orders, giving orders. We're doing this. Shaw is like, okay, do you think, Admiral? <laughs> and isn't that what we've been begging for since he stepped foot on that ship? Yes. Like at any given moment, I was, I was every moment that they had interaction with Shaw, I was thinking. All right, Picard is about to put you in your place. <laughs> yes. And he never would do it. And it just took that brief look from Beverly. And like you said, he just snapped in it. 
So, so let me let me let me pose this real quick. So, imagine for a moment that they did have this mapped out from the beginning. How brilliant would it have been if they knew we're going to have this portrayal, but there's going to come a moment in season three where Picard, Captain Picard, Admiral Picard, takes foot center stage. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like we're there. I'm excited to see where we go from here. This was this was a good week for acting moments. We had this moment and also a moment from The Last of Us with Joel and Ellie that I thought was fantastic. So I've 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 had a, it's been a good week of acting this past week. All right, and with that we can get ratings for the episode. And I will go first. For me, I will give this one a four point four point three. Elios is being hurtled across space <laughs> out of five. <laughs> yeah, 4.3 for me. Cal Jones, what do you give this episode, sir? 4.8. I would have given it a five, but I didn't like the main villain out of five. Oh, wow. 4.8. Nice. John, what about you, sir? Man, this is a good episode. It really was. And it's hard to it's hard to figure out if it was a good episode on its merits alone or it was a good episode because we got to see Worf. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I'm going to match Cal's 4.8. And just because, like I said, it just, the Vedic character, just the actor just seemed a bit over rehearsed. <laughs> oh, man. I think you're going to eat those words by the time the season is over with. So I'm sure I will. <laughs> All right. So, everyone listening, what did you think of this episode? How would you rate it? Send that feedback into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social media. And that's it, guys. Until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com can i say that like shut up wesley i can just go shut up clarence <laughs>